be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7 through 9 and verse 13. David has taken Uriah's wife Bathsheba and then killed Uriah. God sent Nathan, the prophet, to condemn David of his sin. In verse 7, then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house, your master's wives into your keeping, and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have given you much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight? You have killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and taken his wife to be your wife. You have killed him with the sword of the people of Ammon. In verse 13, so David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Notice that Brother BJ just had to leave, and, and Brother Steve was telling me, Sharon said he's just tired and uh, should be okay. But uh, sometimes when somebody has to leave in the middle of the service, we get concerned. And so uh, Steve let me know that, and I wanted to pass that on to you. We're glad that you're here today. It's a good day to uh, be together. It's always a privilege on the first day of the week to worship God, and so we are glad that you're here this morning at Savannah. We are in week 12 of the story. Uh, and as we get into this this morning, one of the things that coaches will do with, the, with the, the players that they coach, they'll try to instill within them the concept of doing the next right thing. And uh, I've got a, a screenshot of Coach Don Meyer up on the uh, screen for you this morning. One of the things he talked about in his book, he abbreviated it with the letters NBA. In other words, what is the next best action you can take? Because you're going to do something wrong, and what you don't want to do is follow up one wrong thing with another mistake and just pile one mistake on top of another. And, and you kind of understand how this works. If I'm on the basketball court and I commit a turnover, and I, quit, I get frustrated and I don't hustle, the last thing I want to happen is for me not to get back on defense and for the guy that I'm supposed to be guarding to score a layup because I quit playing. Or I don't get in position, I don't box out, I, I'm not in position to get a rebound, and so then after I've made that mistake, the second mistake I don't want to make is to jump on that guy's back and then commit a foul. We watch a lot of football, and the quarterback goes back, he gets himself into trouble, and instead of safely throwing the ball away, he either takes a huge sack or he just throws the ball up for grabs and he gets intercepted. It's the idea, you may make one mistake, but you don't want to follow it up with another Coach Meyer added one other thing to that in his notes. He said you need to do the next, th the next right thing right. In other words, the next right thing needs to be done in the right way. And I hope quickly you can see 
But there's a spiritual application to this concept. We're thinking about David this morning, and one of the major events covered in chapter 12 of the story is David's downward spiral with Bathsheba. And in David's case, it was. It was one bad decision after another. And the question is, what if at some point during the process, David had been thinking in terms of, okay, I've made a mistake, but what's the next right thing I can do? What's the next best action I can take? And if he'd been thinking that way, what kind of a difference would it make? Now usually when we're studying this account, we begin in chapter 11, verse 1, and we kind of we start the downward spiral story in verse 1 where the Bible says, Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David stayed at Jerusalem. We, we like to think in terms of David's problems started when he wasn't where he was supposed to be. And that's legitimate. But I want to go back a little bit further this morning. I want to go back, and, and I'm, because I'm thinking that there may have been a time previous... When David ignored the concept of next right thing, and through ignoring the concept of next right thing, he may have helped set himself up for trouble here in chapter 11. Remember last week your reading of the story? Do you remember 2 Samuel chapter 6 and the incident that occurred between David and his wife Michael? The wife that according to the scholars, these two loved each other? If you think back to what was going on in chapter 6... David is in the process of celebrating the fact that the ark is being brought back to the city of David. And as he is celebrating its return, evidently he's engaging in what at least his wife believes is some lewd behavior. And so she looks out her window and as she looks down and she sees what's going on, she sees her husband David out of control in public. And so in verse 16 of 2 Samuel 6, the Bible says... She despised him in her heart. In other words, she regarded their relationship, she regarded him as negligible, worthless, distasteful. She's not happy. And so David comes in a while later, and when David comes in later on, she calls him out on this. Uh, this big statement in verse 20 of, of 2 Samuel 6, she says, Well, how the king of Israel distinguished himself today. She's not happy. Married guys. Have you been in that situation? Not necessarily lewd behavior, but most of us have been there. We've, for whatever reason, we've done something and our wives, they looked at what we did and they realized in their opinion it wasn't what it should have been and they call us out on it. And in that moment, what is it about us? There's something, even when we know she's right and even when we know we're probably in the wrong, there's just something that keeps us from admitting it. Isn't there? And that's what David does. Notice his response to her in verse 21 of 2 Samuel 6. David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you've spoken, with them I'll be distinguished." 
You want to hear what that sounds like in, in 2015 talk? David says, well, that was for God. And because what I was doing for God was for God, it doesn't matter what I was doing. And oh, by the way, that was for God who chose me over your dad. Have you ever fought unfair and brought the in-laws into the fight? That's what David's doing right here. He's fighting unfair. And then he says, and by the way, I'll just celebrate in any way I want to celebrate. And I may not be as highly regarded by you, but those young maids that were out there today, they saw that and they're honoring me. They like what they saw today. That's what he's saying to his wife. And then there's verse 23, Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child uh, to the day of her death. And you understand what that means. They're a husband and wife, but they're no longer together. And the question is, how might this one have played out differently had David been thinking next right thing? He might have remembered what a gentleman told me not too long ago. I, uh, there was a couple, they were celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary, and I, I asked them, the man, I said, well, that is an amazing accomplishment. How do you stay and how do you make it to 50 years? And he said, well, I always get the last word. And before I could even question him, he said, the last word is always, yes, ma'am. <laughs> and he's probably right. You may be thinking to yourself at this point, okay, well, why are we jumping back to 2 Samuel 6? Why are we thinking about this incident with David and his wife Michael? I mean, what's the point? Is it possible that in getting it wrong with his wife Michael, the, the, the wife who the experts believe that they loved each other, in getting it wrong here, is it possible that David sets himself up for trouble later in this incident with Bathsheba? Think about it today. How many modern day Bathsheba type incidents are precipitated by trouble at home? And so let's notice chapter 11. And as we get back to this, the key takeaway from this, the thing that I want us to focus on and be reminded of is that over and over and over there are these key decision points where David made a mistake and could have chosen the next right thing, the next best action, but he doesn't. And he piles up one problem, one sin, right on top of the next. We already mentioned verse 1. Kings went out to war, but David didn't go. He could have made the decision to go and be where kings normally were that time of year. But then in verse 2, he's wandering around on his roof. And and verse 2 says, From the roof he saw a woman, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. He saw a woman bathing. In that moment, he could have turned away. Could have gone back inside. He could have averted his eyes somehow, but he didn't. Then in verse 3, So David went and inquired about the woman, and one of them said, Is this not Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now Uriah, it doesn't matter whose wife it is, but but Uriah is one of David's mighty men. He's out fighting for Israel. But the immediate thought should have been, Well, she's married. This can't happen. That would have been the next right thought, the next right action. But David had her brought anyway. Then in verse 5, David gets that message. Today it would probably come via a text. And the message says, I am pregnant. Now in that moment, David could have owned it. It would have been 
awkward and it would have been messy and it would have been scandalous at that point, but, but David could have owned his problem at that point. He's making an assumption that Bathsheba is going to keep this quiet, that Bathsheba is not going to say anything. And so instead of owning it in that moment, he decides to go with the cover-up plan and he brings Uriah home. And he tells Uriah, I want you to go down to your house. I want you to go down to your wife. And verse 9 says, But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and he did not go down to his house. See, he's still at a point where he can start to do the right thing. He could confess his wrong. Uriah's right there. This has to stop now. He could have made the decision right then to change the direction, but he didn't. And so he brings Uriah in and the thought process is, if I can't get him down to his house sober, maybe I can get him down to his house drunk. So he gets Uriah drunk and Uriah still will not go. Verse 13, and he made him drunk, but he did not go down to his house. And it's still not too late to begin to take the next right action. But David has Uriah murdered by the Ammonites. King David, the man after God's own heart, allows this situation to become murder. And it all begins with him wandering around on his rooftop. And one of the questions we need to be asking today in 2015 is, you know, what does the next right thing look like for us in our relationships Because sometimes we end up in relationships and because we're human, the the relationship ends up being strained in some way. And and for some of us, the, the next right action, the next right thing, it might well be, I need to bite my tongue. I don't need to say anything right now. If I've got a problem with always just saying the very first thing that comes to mind, I might need to learn to kind of dial that back until I can get my emotions under control. The next right thing, it might be walking away for a time while I calm down, taking a walk. It might be listening. Back there in 2 Samuel chapter 6, Michael, she's got a valid point apparently about David, but he's not ready to listen to that. Sometimes my next right thing might be to listen It might also be to remember because in that moment of that strained relationship, I might need to start remembering all of the ways that I love this person and all the reasons that I love this person. I need to remember who I love. And in some cases, it might even be for us seeking some professional help because our relationships are super important. But see, there are other situations that go on for us and uh, and they can run all kinds of directions. For us, the phone, the computer, what we, uh, that device that we hold in our hands, that's a rooftop. And from that place, we can see all kinds of things. We can see things we didn't intend to see. We, could, we see things we didn't know we weren't supposed to see. You know, it might be getting the next right thing, might be exiting that web page, closing down that browser. It, may, it might be getting away from that computer. That might be the next right thing. It might be not responding to that text message, not continuing that conversation that is potentially dangerous. It might be deleting that number from my phone so that I don't even have that number anymore. Or it might be taking some some action to physically remove ourselves from bad situations. I remember back in my youth ministry days, you know, working with the kids, one of the things we talk about a lot, and not all of them had cell phones at that point, but you know, if you're out with people and something bad is going on and you see that you're in a situation that isn't good, 
You, you tell them to pull over and you tell them to let you out and then you call someone and if you don't want to call your parents, you call me and we'll go to your parents together, but you remove yourself from that bad situation. That might be the next right thing to do. But sometimes we struggle. Especially when we're emotional, especially in the moment. That, that seems to be what's going on with David. The way I think about it with David is, see, David's got a broken mirror at this point. He can go look in the mirror, but David's not seeing reality. He's been blinded to what's real. He, he's blinded maybe by power. Sometimes when we have power, we're, uh, we deem ourselves untouchable or we deem ourselves to be above the rules. Uh, sometimes we're blinded by our pride. Sometimes we're blinded by our anger. Sometimes we're just blinded by intense emotion. For David, he sees Bathsheba. He's attracted to her. He wants her. And it's just blinded him to reason. And what he needs is a spiritual wake-up call. He needs that spiritual slap to the face. He needs somebody to fix the mirror for him. And so what Nathan does, as Nathan shows up, he takes David away from the mirror and he takes David over to the window because David can look out the window and he can see right and wrong in somebody else. And so Nathan shares that story about the rich guy who had everything and the poor guy who had only one lamb and the rich guy needed to entertain company and so he takes the poor guy's one lamb and David is immediately angry. Verse 5 of chapter 12, David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely this man deserves to die. And then in verse 7, Nathan says, you are the man. Sometimes that phrase is a compliment today. That was not a compliment to David. We all need people in our lives who can fix the mirror for us when it's broken. And that's what Nathan does for David. Because from that point, David, we finally see him beginning to get it right. He's spiritually awake again. His vision has been restored. He's, he's starting to make next best thing type decisions. But the next right thing often begins with three words that we often have a lot of trouble with saying. And I want to try to give it to you in about a 15 second video clip. If we can get that to load, let that play. Ralph, I was ruined. <laughs> kind of stuck in my throat there, stuck in my throat. Ralph, look, I was ruined. <laughs> If you're my age, you know who that guy was. If you don't know who that guy was, talk to somebody at lunch and they'll fill you in. But that guy was never admittedly wrong. And for David, the three words are, I have sinned. And sometimes those are the words that we need to be willing to say out loud. Sometimes it's simply trying to say, I was wrong. And sometimes we struggle with that. But oftentimes that's where it needs to begin. And so even if it's a situation that's not sinful, we've got to be developing the discipline to be less defensive and more willing to say, I was wrong. As David starts making the right decisions in verse 16, uh, he, he inquires of God about the child and, and he fasts and he lays on the ground and he's got his elders standing there beside him ready to get him off the ground, but he won't get up, he won't eat. And... He wants the child to live. He's hoping God will change his mind. And the child dies in seven days. 
And David's at another decision point. How are you going to react to this? Well, David, in verse 20, it says, arose from the ground. He washed, he anointed himself, changed his clothes, and he came into the house of the Lord and worshipped the next right thing. Now, God's going to ultimately work His upper story plan through David's sinful decision. Through his sinful mistakes, he's, he, he's going to have another son with Bathsheba, Solomon, who will be in the lineage of Jesus. So, so God's going to work through this. But boy, David makes a lot of bad decisions. We began this morning talking about athletics and the importance of doing the next right thing or the next best action after making a mistake. Let me add one more thought as I leave you this morning. Athletes practice a lot. And one of the reasons an athlete is in practice is to develop and hone skill. But one of the other things that practice does is it helps the next right thing to become more of a reflex than something that the person has to stop and think about in a moment of stress and pressure and in the middle of the game. The idea is I practice and I practice and I practice so in the moment doing the right thing becomes the normal thing for me. But Paul picked up on that thought when he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, the last part of verse 7. He said, on the other hand... Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. In other words, practice and, and, and hone your skills such that you're, you're choosing godliness. For bodily discipline is only of a little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The goal is to allow God and His Word and our relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ to, to help us grow into being the kind of people where the next right thing becomes the normal thing. That's where we want to be. And with God's help, we can be those kinds of people. Bradley's going to lead us in the song that's been selected this morning. And as we get ready to sing and, and stand together... Do you need to do the next right thing this morning? Do you need to take a next right step this morning? You may have, it may have taken a major right next step for you just to be in worship this morning. And if, you had, if it was hard to get here, I'm so glad you made the decision. But maybe you're here today and you realize things aren't right in your life, you realize things are amiss, you realize there's something that needs to be fixed, and sometimes that first step toward the next right thing is the hardest step to take. It might be asking the church to pray for you as you make the statement, I have sinned. And if you don't want to make that statement to the church, go to one of the shepherds, talk with one of them, allow one of them to pray with you. Maybe it's going home. Maybe the next right thing for you today is to go home and work through that I was wrong uh, with somebody in a relationship that you care about. Maybe that's the next right thing today. Maybe the next right thing for you is to surrender your life to Jesus, to be baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins. No matter where any of us are, there's always a next right thing, a next best action and if there's a way we can assist you in making a next right step today, let that be known while we stand and while we sing.